Hey, bookworms. Welcome to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am so glad you are here. I am the Picky Bookworm, and I love bringing recognition to indie and self-published books through book reviews, proofreading, and podcasting. Every Saturday, I get to talk to a member of the writing community, from book bloggers to authors and even other podcasters like myself. I'll include a link to my website where you can leave a comment with your thoughts on the show or questions for the author that I may not have gotten to. You can also find information on how to sponsor this podcast. Ready? Grab your tea, wine, or laundry, and let's get to it. This episode is sponsored by Sons of Taldra by Dwayne Smokey. Sons of Taldra is a science fiction adventure story. The brilliant scientist Taldra became leader of our world a year before the aliens attacked. Maintainer Admiral Nil blames Taldra for a series of tragedies and might pose an even greater threat than the aliens. One of Taldra's twin sons wants to marry the man he loves. The other struggles with the residual effects of a deadly drug addiction. The young men stand with Taldra as she faces humanity's greatest threats. Sons of Taldra is available on Amazon and I do believe other online bookstores, uh, Dwayne says, worldwide. The book sounds amazing. I hope you guys will check it out and support Dwayne like he has supported the picky bookworm. Welcome to a bonus episode of the picky bookworm podcast. I, as many of you know, uh, probably all of you know, one of my really good friends, Gabriel Hargrave, wrote a book. Um, he talks about him all the time. He um, loves talking about his writing process. And I decided that it would be really fun to have several people on the episode who loved the book as much as I did and want to talk about it and wanted to promote it a little bit uh, for Gabe and just get together and have a really good time. I will make a note, um, normally my episodes are family friendly and I do not allow cussing, but today's episode is different because we are talking about an erotic romance and I did not want my three guests uh, to have to worry about watching their language. So I will be marking this episode as explicit. You're going to hear some cussing and you're probably going to hear some lots of body part talk. So. Please enjoy. Um, if you have children, I do encourage that you either use headphones or don't listen with them in the room. Um, I don't want to any, force anyone to have to answer questions they're not ready for. So let's get to it. Let's have a lot of fun. Um, let me introduce the three guests that I have today. I have John Steiner. I have Emily. Uh, you guys know her as Spooky LCSW on Twitter. No, I will not call it X, not gonna happen. Um, and we have Saul, um, that's, I can't tell what the name is and I'm trying really hard not to butcher it. So I, you're just gonna be Saul, I'm sorry. Um, but, I have, but I have three guests today and we are gonna have a really great time. Um, first thing that we're gonna do is we're gonna start with just overall opinions of the book, uh, just a quick little review. 
and uh, we're going to start with I'm going to go um, left to right. Uh, so I will go last, but I'm going to get started with John. Uh, John, you can unmute and I'm going to mute and get started. OK, I'm John Steiner, uh, also a science fiction author as well as fantasy and horror and uh, um, Gabe's book was outside my normal genre, but he did have science fiction elements and social commentary, so I was intrigued by that. And so decided to take a dive in and um, no regrets whatsoever. Okay, Emily, spooky. Uh, hi, I'm Emily, uh, spooky LCSW on Twitter. Um, so I was intrigued by the book. Um, most of the erotic stories I read are usually from fan fiction. So it was my first actual original story that I was reading. And uh, some background on me is I am good friends with Gabe. Um, we met in college in our Gay Straight Alliance and Gabe was also my roommate for a period of time. So that's kind of what brought me into the book was hearing him talk about writing it and getting into the characters. And that was how I was able to, um, that's how I first heard about it and how I got my copy. Awesome. Okay, Saul, what was your opinion of the book and how did you hear about it? So I heard about the book because I had a random interaction with him on Twitter like months ago and the way he described it I was like that sounds really interesting so I just kind of impulse bought it because <laughs> I read a lot anyway so especially if the author kind of indicates that they have like something that they kind of really want to say or talk about with a book I'm just like very inclined to purchase it and I don't even really read the summary or the genre that much if I like the plot, like, I guess what I know of the plot. So that was how I got my hands on it. I did enjoy it a lot. It's probably one of the best books I've read in a while. I didn't, like, I kind of knew where the story was going very early when I started reading it, but it still surprised me a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it surprised, I think probably it surprised all of us um, at how good it was. You know, you get a lot of indie authors that, yeah, their their books are good, and I, I'm not going to judge them at all whatsoever. It's rare for me after 42 years of reading, 39 years of reading, <clears throat> It's rare for me to find a book that sucks me in that quickly um, just because I've read so many books and I I tend to find them predictable. His was not. Um, I There were a couple of times where I messaged him and <clears throat> was you know telling him where I was in the book and what I thought was going to happen. And he was just kind of like, yeah, just wait. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> you mean I'm wrong? And I, you know, turns out I was. A couple of times I was right. Uh, most of the time I was wrong. And I um, 
was I was not happy about the times that I was wrong. Um, and especially, and we're not going to talk about the second book too much, but there were some things in the in book two that, you know, I kind of had that same reaction to. It was just like, um, about being um, about being wrong. So, um, okay, so we each came up with, I hope we each came up with, um, like one or two book club type questions um, for the rest of us to just kind of discuss. Spooky's looking up like she's <laughs> trying to think of a really good question. Um, I, I'm going to start with probably the most obvious question, an obvious discussion topic. Um, which character was the most relatable to you? We're going to start with John again. So uh, interestingly, uh, I think Lath was um, one. He's he was in the army. Um, his personality is he's a bit of a knight at times. You know, was one incident in the club and one of the uh, sex workers is being I think he was being assaulted. He gets in the perp's face without hesitation, and that's. That's what I tend to do just automatically now because of my life experiences. And, and it was weird because I'm like, well, I'm a, I'm a cis het white male and I'm relating to a trans character. And so that opens. Now I was already kind of opening my eyes years prior with things like the birdcage and uh, two Wong Fu and movies like that. And, and uh, queen of the Priscilla queen of the desert, which I highly recommend. Um, but finding myself relating to a trans character was eye-opening and it just offered me illumination like oh i'm learning more about people whose experiences are so wildly different from my own yeah that's it's really interesting that you brought up um that it was eye-opening for for you to relate to a trans character i did too Laith was the one that i related to um quite a bit um in a little bit different way. Um, I am not a knight. Um, I'm not one to jump into dangerous situations. Um, I do not hesitate to stick my husband on people, but I am very much a pacifist. Um, and I, you know, I don't jump into dangerous situations or, you know, anything like that, but it was his, submissive personality I think that I related to more than anything um I love being in a relationship where I don't feel like I constantly have to be in control and I don't constantly have to be in charge and so you know Leith's personality of allowing Dorian to have that control over him and allowing Dorian to take charge. Um, I really related to that part of him. And um, I, I honestly was serious when I said I will sick my husband on people. But um, because he is very much a, a more dominant personality in, um, in that dynamic. And it's, you know, I, I did, I related to Leith quite a bit. And I in a way related to Dorian's um, love of being pretty. 
Um, I am not not one to wear makeup all the time. I'm not one to dress up in gorgeous clothes all the time. My first thought is, is it comfortable? But he, that was one thing that I really liked about him was just he, he likes to be pretty and he doesn't need to sacrifice his masculinity, for lack of a better word, in order to, in order to have that, in order to feel pretty. Um, Spooky, what was your relatable character? Um, I feel like I'm also a bit of a combination of Dorian and Lath. I think uh, just since Gabe was living with us, I remember walking over to his room and saying, how is Lath a brat? I would make all of these statements. These are very validating. And Gabe just stared at me like he, he's being a brat. And I'm like, oh. Well, I guess I'm a little like Leith. Um, but I think overall, I feel like I was more drawn to Dorian, uh, pretty much for the same stuff, just his diva attitude and just how feminine he is. And I just really love that about Dorian, just him being powerful, um, being really in control of his um, sexuality. And what I just loved about that was just his openness and I think that's probably what I like the most about um, being in queer spaces, like, you know, whether it's going to a pride parade or a burlesque show, just that show of power and confidence. And I feel like um, as much as I love Lath, as much as I want to be brave like Lath and just dive in when someone is being hurt, um, I'm definitely more of a Dorian. So I feel like Dorian spoke to me the most. Okay, very nice. Um, Saul, who was your most relatable character? Well, clearly it's Frank. Okay, that was kind of a joke, but I do like Frank a lot. I feel like the easy answer would be Lace, and in a sense, kind of, I have, like, I relate to the whole, like, just jumping in, um, You muted your microphone. Oh my god, I muted. <laughs> did I say anything before I muted? You did. You were um, talking about... <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, you were talking about you related to Leith's um, jumping in when um, uh, yeah. people need protecting, and I think that was about the time that it cut out. Okay, yeah, because like I kind of relate to that in that I've definitely done that without like thinking too much about self-preservation because you don't necessarily in those situations but I don't think I related to like the whole of his character like he's he's got an attitude so there's that but so does Dorian to be fair but like part of Dorian's character I thought was really interesting like the unreliable narrator bit was really good because you get to see him shift from like it's not like necessarily his intrinsic personality shifts but the way he views people around him shifts throughout the book but that's definitely on him growing as a person so that was very well played but it's just like his aversion to attachments was probably 
a big relatable thing in the book. Like as a reader, it can get frustrating around like the three quarter point of a book if the main character is still like, I don't want to be in a relationship because that means I have to be attached to somebody. But because he grew slowly throughout that, it wasn't so frustrating. It was just interesting. Because I think that a lot of people can relate to that whole thing of like being scared to be in a relationship, especially if they've had really like awful past experiences with partners trying to control them and whatnot. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm really glad that you brought that part up because, you know, I, in the past, and I'm fairly sure that we have all been in that situation, um, you know, like Saul said, that we are, we've all been in bad relationships. We've all been in those that caused us to be afraid. You know, before I married my husband, um, I'm sure Spooky will appreciate this, but before I married my husband, I went into therapy um, because I had, you know, a lot of trauma from my past and I had a lot of emotional baggage that I did not want to take into my marriage. And so luckily my husband was super um, supportive of that and, you know, just dealt with the emotional fallout um, of going into therapy. And it, it was amazing to watch myself develop that way. And I, I think that Dorian even without therapy, um, you know, just allowing his friends to help him and allowing his family, um, his found family to help him, um, did help him grow quite a bit. Um, speaking of found family, what, um, that had a little bit of a recording snafu um but we are back we are ready to continue talking um i think before i had to stop the recording um everybody froze on me um I, it was on my end so i went and restarted my computer and we should be good to go um at least for a little while but before i stopped recording i was asking the question what tropes did you find in the book um, of the orchid and the lion and which one was your favorite and i was going to start with saul on that one so take it away i'm not the I'm best with best. trope talk Oh, I'm terrible with um, them, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I recognize them. I don't like them most of the time if they're too obvious. Like, obviously, you have enemies to lovers and, like, found family. Those are, like, the two most notable ones in the story. And there's probably, like, a myriad of, like, smaller ones in there as well. Um... Yeah, I, I've kind of noticed that tropes are tropes because one they work and two people do recognize them they are almost as important to storytelling as genre what do you yeah. think about that they're they're necessary in storytelling of course i think that 
tropes like this is veering away i'll try to keep this short but tropes are like best if they integrate naturally into the story if someone's writing something for the trope oftentimes it feels very forced so that's kind of why i just don't pay that much attention to them but um you're still better than I, me because I struggle with even recognizing them. So, yeah. I'm like, what I, trope is this? Is this chosen one? Is this? Yeah, I, I'm absolutely terrible at it. That's honestly why I asked the question, because I was hoping you guys would have more insight into, into the subject than I do. Um, I, I can like I know lots of like commonalities, especially in fiction about like queer men, because I know what I don't like, and it's a lot of things. Um, this this book subverted a lot of the stuff I don't like, though, that you typically see in these kinds of books. It's probably like the best thing about it, like it. So like a lot of books that have like queer men as the lead character have things like homophobia in the story but for no actual story purpose just because the author like is like oh the character's gay of course it has to be in there and they don't like think about it they just kind of like put it in there but in this book it actually has like a point yeah. and it's handled very well you have the love interest being trans which is not something you often see which was refreshing for just a lot of reasons the found family aspect is probably the best trope in the book, but only because uh, it just, it all gets like taken from you at the end, but also like it's heartwarming up until that point, even with their like messy relationships. Yeah, I, um, the found family was probably one of my favorite. Um, I, I definitely relate to it quite a bit. You know, I, I have my my blood family and I'm close with my most, you know, like my immediate family. I'm not so close with my extended family, but, you know, the coming on to Twitter and coming on to social media and joining the writing community and the author community, I, I feel like I kind of lived that trope. <laughs> um, because I found people who understood the nerdy side of me, understood the word lover side of me, the bookworm side of me. Um, and I, there are a lot of people, especially on Twitter, and no, not going to call it X. Um, there, you know, there are a lot of people on there that I will call my family. And, you know, we're not blood, but we are, we're linked by something just as strong as blood. Um, and it's, you know, that commonality of we, we have things in common or we've had similar life experiences. And yes, I'm getting philosophical, sorry. Um, but, you know, we, we've joined together through this this common love of a thing and that in my mind that makes us family and it makes me because you guys are my family it makes me fiercely protective of you and it doesn't matter if we're the same it doesn't matter if we're different it doesn't matter if 
you know, we have this thing in common, but we don't have this other thing in common. And Saul, speaking of things in common, I'm sitting here drinking White Monster too. So <laughs> it's the best one. <laughs> it is. I I actually, my husband uh, was drinking some of mine yesterday. Are you freaking kidding me? Wow. It like just, and I'm still recording. So, um, I don't even, I don't even know what just happened. Um, but anyway, my husband, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, my husband drank a couple of my, my white ones yesterday and basically told me, you don't have to buy the green ones anymore. I can drink the white ones. It's fine. Um, they don't taste that bad. So, um, I, I did used to drink the, the blue, the low carb ones switched over to the white ones and I've been, um, they are too sweet. Um, but my husband loves them. He likes the flavor, but he, he found the white ones. He did not hate the flavor of them. So a small little digression, um, <laughs> into the world of monster. Um, Leave us a comment, you guys, with your favorite monster um, to all of my listeners. Um, okay, so we're going to move on to Spooky. And um, I don't know if I know you're a, a big reader, um, but what tropes did you find in the book and which one was your favorite? Uh, I'm just going to try to enunciate loudly and clearly because my neighbor decided to mow their lawn and I have no idea what my husband is trying to repair outside, even though he knows I'm recording. So I can't hear, I can't hear anything but you. So you should be good. Lovely. Okay. Yeah. Um, so some of the tropes, I'm trying to remember if this is actually a trope or just a tag I see on like, uh, our archive of, of our own, um, just like oblivious idiot like in love um because i think that was my favorite because it was really dorian's feelings for kenny and dorian just kept denying them um and just thinking oh you know kenny doesn't think anything about me kenny doesn't really love me he just likes that when i dress up i i must remind him of his late wife there's no way that kenny could love me and i found that so like just so heartbreaking and bittersweet and i just i think that's what i loved about it is i didn't expect this book to go as emotionally deep as it did right it, yeah you in addition to that like from erotica you just yeah yeah in addition to the political intrigue so um because i remember i would like read it read a couple chapters um in bed uh you know before falling asleep and my husband would look over like, hey, how's how's the smut going? And I'm like, there's a plot. I'm like, there is there is an intrigue and a possible like murder afoot. Like, I don't know what's going on. I am so fascinated. But at like, this, but at this same reading. time, but at the same time, I would be at work and I would be sitting reading and I would just kind of hold my tablet up like a little bit just to make sure that if somebody walked by behind me, they weren't going to like look down and, <laughs> and see this, like, you know, a couple of words that, you know, um, was inappropriate and, you know, could potentially get me in trouble. So, um, 
it's but yeah it had um the the political intrigue and the um just the depth of the characters themselves i you know there was several times where um you know gabe and i would be talking about the book and you know, I would message him and say something. He'd be like, well, I can tell exactly where you are in the story. And I'm like, you need to just, what are you doing to me? You are breaking my heart over here. And, you know, he would just laugh and um, tell me, just wait. And then he would break my heart all over again. And then he would put it back together. And then he would, you know, and it was just an absolute roller coaster of emotions um, through the entire book and I was absolutely hooked I think I read it in less than three days and at one point I I told him um because he had given me permission to skip the naughty bits um because I don't read much erotica and um I as you know especially since I read um when I'm on my lunch break at work I just tend to stay away from that kind of stuff because I don't want somebody walking behind me and catching sight of something that they're not supposed to see. And, you know, I work in social services, so I have to be super careful. And so, um, you know, I've just, I just avoid books like that. And my friend Eliza wanted um, someone to help her write some uh, short erotic stories. And I was like, yeah, I'll help you edit them, but I would giggle way too often if I were trying to help write them. Um, just trying to come up with all the different words for a cock, <laughs> for example, um, would send me into gales of laughter. So I'm very much a, a kindergartner in that. Actually, no, I'm not a kinder. I'm a high school boy in that regard. Sorry. Um, let me let me. But the, the giggling part is what made me a kindergartner, not the, the cock part. But um, anyway, sorry, I'm really digging myself in a hole, aren't I? Spooky is just rolling over there. But um, anyway, so I had told her that I wasn't going to help um, write these write these stories. So Gabe you know, wanted me to read his book and I promised him that I would. And so he gave me permission to skip the naughty parts. And I messaged him at one point, I think I was about halfway through the book and I messaged him and told him, I said, I haven't had to skip any naughty parts yet. And he goes, okay, that is probably the highest compliment that I could get from someone who doesn't read the genre you give them permission to skip the naughty parts and they don't because it they're so integrated into the story that you on on some level you almost don't realize that's what you're reading because it's you know such yeah exactly so all the sex scenes are too too important to the plot and so i i found myself just reading through them anyway and it they were so integral um yeah absolutely so um I, I definitely agree um okay so let's move on to john because i can sit here and um wax poetic for probably three hours and let's not <laughs> 
but John, what tropes uh, did you find um, in the book and which one was your favorite? Okay, so real quick on uh, the naughty bits. So I normally was, I started skimming over them, but then I realized, wait a minute, there's dialogue here, I better catch that. That was woven, the plot's weaving in really beautifully. Two, choreography. His description of motions and what people are doing when, uh, usually, like, I write fight scenes, and I like to make sure that the fight scene actually makes sense. If they're standing a certain way, can they do this thing? He's thinking this out for sex scenes, and I've never seen such good choreography in a book for anything, let alone uh, sex scenes. Uh, the two tropes I have that I thought that I noticed in here, um, one's the book overall, is I'm going to tell you a true story, but with one exaggeration. In this case, that the true story is, is policies against trans and LBGQ people, and so that was one, but and then the exaggeration is it's a distant future. Uh, but the other trope that I kind of latched onto is Frank, the stranded alien. You see it a lot, and most of the time the whole plot is that. Uh, this time, he, it's one part where he, why he's stuck is sort of sad, but at the same time, it's also hilarious. And then Frank, is, how Frank is such a freaking hilarious character. It was just the the addition of the the different pronouns um, mm. uh, that took a bit of getting used to but yeah I had, to, I, had to, I had to text Gabe about that I was like what is this and he hands me a whole like chart of like 25 non-male non-female pronouns I'm like do I get to memorize all these no no that's okay it's okay <laughs> but yeah I mean Frank is like he's his the trope of him immersing himself into human society is also hilarious so like where did you learn to talk taxi driver <laughs> it is basically how he's, his language is crafted. And I had written the taxi driver recently, you know, like a couple of years ago, and I noted that kind of framing of how a taxi driver might talk. And, and even though it can be done as a trope, it's a fun trope just because taxi drivers can be fun characters. Their whole job is to get you somewhere, but to make them important, how they talk and why and what they say reveals so much about who they are as characters and that was also about you kind of get that sense about frank like maybe he's like an alien ups driver <laughs> his truck his truck his truck breaks down but uh, emergency services won't go to the soul system <laughs> head under country if you're familiar with the movie wavelength i am not um okay so um there was one thing that Saul brought up um, that I definitely wanted to get into, um, and that was Gabe's um, how he dealt with gender and sexuality in um, the Orchid and the Lion. What thoughts um, did you have on that? Um, and who? I don't know how, exactly how to ask this. Um, but how just in in your opinion how do you, how well do you think he handled it and um what in particular did you like about how he handled it um we'll start with Pookie on that one sorry i saw the lawnmower pass again anyway um so 
I like how with um, with gender and pronouns, it was every use of pronouns was written very naturally. Like even pronouns that I didn't recognize because um, just I heard them being used in college, but more in, in, in abstract because even um, at least I'm trying to remember, but I feel like um, when Gabe and I were in the Gay Straight Alliance together, we only had a few trans members and they those trans members would either use she her pronouns or he him so like the more nuanced ones like z and zir we knew of them in the group but no one really used them in our like small um gay straight alliance so it was just how every pronoun was natural even though i had to reread some sections a few times just to like have them click in my head but there's never any lengthy explanation of this means this and this and this it was just a natural thing that you saw in the book and you would just get used to it when dorian would be with a new person so i thought that was really cool because it wasn't anything to be seriously analyzed it was just this perfect thing that existed wasn't questioned and was just respected. So that's really what I liked about um, gender and the different pronouns. Um, what else was I going to say? Um, oh, and sexuality. I also like how that was also not really questioned um, just because this, the station is such a safe place um, and everyone was just free to express it and there was no judgment. And I know just from chatting with Gabe, there were certain um, sexual fetishes that he doesn't like but he still wrote them in a respectful way so i thought that was really um that was really interesting just for a book that is so affirming I think that's I, me. <laughs> yeah i i think that um in regards to the the gender um conversation that you were just having that you know when he used various pronouns because they were written so naturally into the book, he wasn't assuming stupidity on the part of his reader. He was assuming that the reader would be able to catch on um, and be able to figure out how the various pronouns were being used um, and in which way. And so he didn't have to go into lengthy lengthy explanations for the reader because he was assuming that the reader wasn't dumb and wasn't stupid um, and would be able to figure those things out. So John, what did you think in terms of gender and sexuality? Or did we ask you already? I don't think we did. Uh, I don't think so. Um, so yeah, on pronouns, it's sort of like when you're new to a group and oh, and they say, okay, Z's over there, this is her thing, and you, you're like, you hear it, and you're you're confused at first, but you look around, no one else is, and so you just go, oh, it's just a thing, okay, I'll just go with it, and that's how it felt that it was used. Um, I think one thing when you include, uh, and I noticed this in science fiction anywhere else, the moment you include an alien character. Any human differences just kind of disappear. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, well, this dude over here has got tentacles and pink skin, like you know, actual pink skin. 
you know, once you see that, you're like, well, anything that we think of as human differences really is meaningless by that point. So I think that kind of served as that uh, that break in saying this is how much extreme nature can be. And as a biologist, that's actually literally true. Gender is fairly arbitrary. Um, so seeing that and just saying it casually, you know, like when characters underreact to gender distinctions, it's easier for the reader to do the same. It's like, oh, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're trans, and then everyone moves on without even thinking about it. Once you do that with your characters, your your readers will just follow. And I, I found that was really well done. Um, yeah, it you know it goes back to you know you you read some books by some authors that they um, they're assuming that the reader is stupid. Um, the Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, those books come to mind um, when I think of the an author who just assumes that the, the reader is not going to know what a certain word means. Well, I'm sorry, but if you're writing a book for a six-year-old and you're using a, a word like anti-disestablishmentarianism, maybe you shouldn't do that if you then have to go and explain what the word means um and i i think i got through maybe yeah i didn't get through many of them either i think i read maybe two and i was just like no i mm -mm, done um and you know because i was older i wasn't even a, a kid when those books came out i was older and still struggled with the using big words and then explaining what they mean in parentheses. Don't do that. Um, if you know, if you're going to go that far into acting like your reader is stupid, maybe you shouldn't be writing books. <laughs> um, and that was just kind of how I felt. But yeah, so I, um, the the child abuse part of it was absolutely horrible too but those those books in general and the movie was just absolutely horrendous um but the you know in Gabe's book and books um I I really loved that he didn't do that that you know especially in the in the use of pronouns and the use of sexuality and the use of gender it you know, it was just, it fits seamlessly into the book, just like the, the sex scenes did. Um, and, you know, the, the political intrigue and, you know, everything just fit together seamlessly into this beautiful story that many of us, when we have time, will probably want to reread over and over again. <laughs> yeah, John, be very glad you did not get into Lemony Snicket. Um, there were kids who did, sadly enough. Um, yeah. Um, but so I think the the last one is Saul is um, what did you think on in regards to gender and sexuality? How did you think he handled that? So I had to like reread because I, I re read this book obviously a while ago, but I made a, like a lot of notes on it as I was reading it. So I reread all of them before this just to make sure I was prepared. <laughs> But the the character that comes to mind the most that kind of shows like 
Sorry, I just completely distracted you. <laughs> no, you <you're> distracted. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay, go the ahead. The that comes to mind the most with like gender and sexuality stuff and kind of like the the intersection of those two things is Kenny. And one, I like Kenny a lot. He might be my favorite actually, but uh, his character is written so well because like he's clearly implied to be straight or like straight-ish but also he's with Dorian and also he kind of doesn't care he just doesn't like talk about his identity because he doesn't like feel the need to and part of the unreliable narrator thing is Dorian projecting his idea of sexuality like onto Kenny and then later realizing that actually it's more nuanced than that and it like even if you're like oh I'm straight like there's so many people um like there's like even if you're like oh I'm only into women there's so much variance in non-binary people and men that you could still like find someone that you're attracted to even if you're primarily only into women and that's kind of what his character is exploring in a way that doesn't feel like forced which is something that you basically never see and I appreciate that well and you know I I think that even for a you know I'm cis white female attracted to cis men I you know, even with cis men, there are so many differences in, you know, physical appearance, in personality that, you know, yeah, I can be attracted to to straight white men, but even they have the subtle differences and the subtle nuances. So, you know, even just saying you're attracted to non-binary or just saying you're attracted to trans people or just saying you're attracted to cis people, even that has so many nuances. And I think that that was something that he handled really well in the book as well. It's just that, that nuance of attraction and that nuance of, you know, there there isn't just one type of person. There's a lot of different types of people. And, you know, you can say all day that you're only attracted to one type of person. But even within that one type of person, there's multiple types. So, um, you know, I, I really liked that there were, you know, there was such a, a huge diverse cast. I mean, you had the straight couple, you had the queer couple, you had the alien, you had, you know, just all of these different people who came together and created this beautiful cast of characters that you couldn't help but fall in love with. And I guess I should talk about the the transness too and the like pronouns. Like you already talked about the pronouns and I agree. They're just kind of naturally integrated into the story. I I kind of come at this from an angle of the fact that I am trans, the fact that I'm around a lot of other trans people. So it's not like weird for me 
to see like neo pronouns or trans characters, especially if I'm looking into books by trans authors. I almost kind of expect that. But I also do think it was handled very smoothly here. There's one trope in, I, I, I don't know if it's appropriate to call it a trope, but in a lot of fiction with like queer men, usually like people will call it like MM fiction. I try to avoid, this is going to sound really bad. I try to avoid authors that specifically go, oh, I write MM fiction because a lot of the times there's lots of like mischaracterizations in there. And a big one that I've seen is people will write gay men, but they'll write them as being of like, they'll characterize them as being gay by making them not attracted to women, but they write about it on just like a very like biological level. So they'll be like, oh, this character is gay. And then they'll make, they'll have the character make like, oh, ew, vagina jokes just halfway through the story. And like, I'm reading this and it's like, there's a significant amount of gay men who do have vaginas first of all so it's just weird that you're even I don't know it's not funny and it's overdone and I don't like it so like that's why I have a hard time finding books with queer male leads that I can really get into because there's so many little things like that that are just interwoven into how people write the characters that make it hard for me to connect to you and like enjoy and this book, I'm not saying every, you know, gay lead needs a trans love interest, but we don't complain about that. But like this book um, has it done in a way where it's, it doesn't feel weird. It's not like they need a big explanation for it. Like, you know, that Doreen is primarily into pretty masculine men, but also he doesn't care what body parts life has and you don't need to even expand on that. And that was something I really appreciated. Anyway, I'll mute and then you can add on to my point. And then, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, the idea that, you know, the, the making the uh, male character gay, but not making a point of it, I think that's that's an important thing. And I, I only did it in, in one my series later on because I saw an opportunity to pay tribute to Barney Frank, who at one point was hilarious in a panel discussion. And so the gay man I wrote is a special forces operator and just have a scene where they're all lying, the new diplomat and the genetic hackers like uh, is like he's been seeing her and the other three special forces operators are kind of oogling her. And the one guy's just like, yeah, it does nothing for me and just walks away <laughs> and just and he still talks masculine, you know, he'll, you know, outside of, you know, him be, being attracted to men. You would not think that Steve was gay. He just talks like the other guys, and I and I do that. I made a deliberate point of doing it once I decided he was gay. Yeah, one thing um, I started to type this and then realized that I could actually say it out loud. But one thing is, you don't have to be feminine to be gay. You don't have to be um it's you know you can be gay without being butch or without being femme or you know and you can be straight without being those things and um a lot of and you know back to your your point Saul from earlier I think that's probably why I tend to avoid the um 
the gay romance, um, both um, both men and women, I just tend to avoid those because you either have the, um, you know, both women um, in a relationship are either super feminine or they're both super butch or you have the um, the stereotypical one is more butch and one is, you know, more feminine. And when you have male queer characters, you have that same type of stereotype. And, you know, it's like, I want gay people in my books to be like real people. I, <laughs> you know, and yeah, we see those types of, of people out in the world, but they're not all like that. And so to create those types of characters in books and to put those those types of stereotypes um, in books really bothers me. Um, and it's I, I think I just tend to, to shy away from those books just because of that, that, you know, I'm like, these aren't real people. Dorian and Leif and um, Vaughn um, and, Be no, Belle, sorry, Belle. Um, and, you know, all of those people in Gabe's book, they could exist in, in real life. Yusuf, thank you, Yusuf and Belle. Um, you know, they can, they could all exist. I mean, they are real people. They have real personalities. And yeah, they were created with words, but there's not a whole lot of stereotyping, except in the fact that there's no stereotyping. If that, does that make sense to you guys? Um, okay, so what questions did you guys have? Because I know you guys had come up with some um, some book club questions yourself. Emily, <laughs> Spooky, you uh, raised your hand. Uh, yeah, so um, just because I had to move into a different room. So before I get to my, I'll get to my question in a, or my one point in a sec. Um, but I wanted to make a note about the fact that it was um, a male-male romance. And I know, um, hopefully he won't get too mad at me for talking about this. But I remember when he would, when Gabe would try to promote his book in Facebook groups that were specifically about stories of men loving men, he was noticing that a lot of the fans were women who just wanted to project their own their own sexuality um, onto two attractive male characters instead of seeing the characters for being unabashedly, lovingly queer. And I just want to point that out as like a part of this book. Like with the book, it's not... Okay, the only thing I can think of to compare this to um, would be fanfic, so you're going to have to forgive me. So it... Think of like the fanfics that we would read as kids that were like a little naughty and it would be, let's say, two attractive boy band members or two attractive characters in a book series. And it's like, oh, well, I know that I can't be with and I'm forgive the analogy, but I know 
age-wise, it was probably something a lot of people read, especially as Gabe and I are millennials. Um, I wish I could be with Harry Potter or Draco Malfoy, but I can't. So let's make them kiss, you know? <laughs> Let me project my own desires onto these two characters and not embrace them and write them as two queer men. So that was something that I wanted to point out was, I know Gabe was having trouble trying to promote this book um, in certain groups because the fans just wanted to use the men as a tool to like project their own fantasies onto them and not just enjoy the characters for who they are. Um, so yes, I just want to give him kudos for making a beautifully um, unabashedly gay fic. Um, yes. And I know there's different models of fic. I'm just thinking of like what I would read, like, you know, when I was younger, when, you know, Ooh, sex is exciting. Ooh, what's this? Um, okay. So then to segue, um, so yeah, so I guess to segue a bit, um, as just embracing the characters, um, I also like the differences in body, uh, the wealth of body diversity, um, in the story and just almost proudly describing any perceived flaws the characters might have. So characters with a bit of a tummy or cellulite or scars from like surgeries or whatever. Um, that was something that also spoke to me of just how loving every physical body was described and just how beautiful that was. So I also wanna give Gabe kudos for that. Um, and I guess that can be something we bounce into. Oh, now I'm going into facilitator social work mode. So <laughs> I will stop right now, there and let Sam work. It was your question, so that's totally fine. Um, so you had, um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, turn it over to you because you had a thought on what um, Spooky was talking about. And then um, you can, um, if you'd like, you can comment on her um, statement about body diversity as well. Yeah, I'll kill like three birds with one stone. So, um, I mean, I don't. I don't know him well enough to know if he'll get mad at you for talking about that, but I understand. Like, I knew exactly where that was going because, like, I relate to that a lot personally with myself and my own writing. And if you're writing stories about, you know, queer men, especially if you're including trans men or gender nonconforming men, like, you don't have an audience with these people because the people that by and large treat mm as a genre are people that like enforce these ideas of heteronormativity onto queer men and that doesn't really make sense right because why would there be a man and a woman in the relationship if they're both men but these readers don't look at it like that because most of them are straight so like it's kind it's a fantasy for them but when you're writing it especially as a queer man it is about like more reality because a lot of this might be taken from your own life or people that you've met and it's not going to appeal to these people because they don't want something that's going to be too real or whatever they want something that doesn't feel real which is why their characters don't feel like real people <laughs> 
um, I'm trying not to be mean because like, I could start problems by talking about this. X, I mean, Twitter is very bad at handling this topic. So yikes. <laughs> uh, as far as body diversity goes, I completely agree. Cause like there, there was no body shaming in this book too. And that's another thing I don't like that you find in lots of queer literature is like the characters have to have like the perfect bodies, but in this you have characters that are like chubby or fat or whatever and they're not described as being any less attractive which i really liked it, kenny again and uh, kenny's one of the best characters in the whole book um yeah i can i can pause now who whoever goes next that would explain why yeah i had my mic muted and i'm sitting here just talking away um but yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways, it was the, the inner person, the personality of the person that made them attractive, which is how a lot of people view the world. You know, you, you're going to go for the person that makes you feel most normal, or you're going to go for the person that has the most complementary personality to your own. And that is what makes that person beautiful to you. That is what makes that person handsome to you, is your connection with them. It's not always about physical attraction. And, you know, so it's, you know, especially in this book, there's a lot of people that Dorian in particular that, you know, he talks about being attracted to, but he doesn't talk about being attracted to them physically. You know, he is attracted to Kenny because of what a kind person Kenny is. He's, you know, attracted to Leith because, you know, their personalities and, you know, to your point about no body shaming, there's so much of that. One of the things that um, I was thinking about when uh, you were talking about the that the body shaming is the old Will and Grace episodes. Jack, yeah, spooky, you get it. Jack was constantly on Will about having to go to the gym, about getting old, um, and, you know, about having to keep himself young and about keeping himself pretty. And, you know, people don't always think like that. I mean, you can, you know, but what bothered me about Jack was he, it was thrown out as because I'm gay I must be this way because I'm trying to attract other men I must keep myself this way most women that I know don't think like that um you know it's normal women and I'm talking the not the stereotypical shallow Jersey Shore chick you know, most normal cis women, they are, they're, they want to be pretty, yeah, and they want to attract a man, yeah, but they're not going to go that far overboard. And for 
Jack in that show to go that far overboard, yes, be glad you did not watch the show because it was so, so full of stereotypes that it just did not hold up over time. And it's, it, it was just, it was full of that, um, you know, full of Jack just being the stereotypical gay guy. And it's, we all know that's not how the world is anymore. Um, okay, so we are about out of time. Yeah, um, too, they might. Um, John, did you um, have any final words before, because um, I'm going to go through everybody and let you have your yeah. final say about the book, and then um, we'll get going. So, yeah, a couple of things is like, one, I will never look at ginger the same way again. I had no idea this was what it was used for. I'm like, really? They do that? And it hurts that much. I'm like, Wow. Uh, that just threw me away. And sometimes, like, you can have a scene, and you see it in horror and, con and other things, too, where you have, like, tension going on. They've got to do a thing. They can't get caught. But suddenly things, and I think Gabe even described his characters going off the rails. And usually when I'm reading a book, sometimes I'll get an ear and a narrator. With his book, I got two or three, where you're like, wait, 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 wait. You gotta, what, what are you two doing? And then the, se you know, the second narrator's like, they're not going to. And the third narrator's, yes, they are. It's like, hey, we don't have time for this. <laughs> and I thought that was just great. Right in the middle of that scene, and he throws that in there. I'm just like, of all places, really? There was a lot of humor in the book. Um, I think that was something that we didn't really get a chance to explore. But there was a lot of those those cute little funny bits that you know just kind of got thrown in there um and it gave you the the emotional chuckle and the emotional warm fuzzies okay <clears throat> excuse me so spooky if you want to give us your final thoughts on the book um who d and um i i will come back to john on this as well but who do you think would enjoy the book and if you have anybody specific that you want to recommend the book to, um, no call outs, no pressure or anything, but just anybody specific um, that you think might enjoy the book. Um, I'm just thinking like population wise um, and just with how respectfully it was done. I feel like, I feel like this book should be present in like um, any like local, like, well, any bookstore, period, but especially in queer bookstores, in bookstores or adult stores that discuss safe sex. Because um, I feel like in addition to being a very well-written book, I feel like the, the emotional honesty, vulnerability, and just the sexual expression is very beautiful. And I feel like I feel like it one needs to be read, but I'm thinking of populations where it would be enjoyed. Definitely it should be a mandatory book in safe spaces. And I'm just thinking of friends and people I know who are um, burlesque dancers. I feel like they would also find this like, I'm waxing poetic, but like a beautiful like commonality in it, just with how the sex was portrayed. Um, 
and I just got distracted. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, so if I don't say everyone should read it, um, definitely it should be placed in really validating safe spaces. Okay, I am going to pause or mute. Um, okay, so I am going to make a, a very quick note um, and uh, hold the cheers because I know you guys would be behind this 150%. I have been tagging Showtime on Twitter and telling them, tagging them. I haven't heard back on anything yet, but I keep tagging them and telling them that they need to check out this book because I honestly think that Showtime would be the, the perfect network to make a TV show from this book. Um, and so if you guys want to join me in tagging them, and I am seriously thinking about starting a petition um, and like submitting a petition to them and telling them you need to check out this book. I mean, because Showtime did the L word, they did um, Queer as Folk, they've done like multiple other um, shows that have queer characters. And I think that this would be just like perfect for their audience. And um, so, yeah, if you guys want to join me in tagging them and bugging them and just like don't even care, um, figuring out who we can reach out to. But I, I think that um, I think that Showtime would be absolutely perfect. So um, you guys, all of your facial expressions just kind of went, oh, um, yeah, because the more so, I think about it. Like HBO is so exploitative, like Showtime would definitely work. I almost forgot about Showtime. Right? Well, and I, I was thinking Showtime because of Queer Spoke. Um, and, you know, that was one of the, um, one of the older um, shows that had an almost exclusively gay cast. Um, and, you know, they dealt with, you know, all of the various things that gay people went through at the time. And it, I loved the show. Um, I don't know how well it has held up over the years, um, but I do remember thinking that it was just really well done and thinking that Showtime had just handled, um, handled it very well. And so, yeah, if you guys want to join me in that, feel free, because I would love to see them pick it up. Um, okay, so Saul, if you want to give us your last thoughts, um, I think that'll be um, probably about, we'll probably be about done. So I'm trying to think, like, if there was any, if there if there was anything that we didn't quite cover so far on the book, I think the main thing that we didn't quite talk about was like the. I mean, we talked about the political intrigue, but kind of like how it progresses from seeming like a romance to going into this political intrigue thing, and like the the queer characters in this book are messy as fuck, but. I kind of like that, especially in the context of their struggling with even having relationships because the politics of their time are progressing in a way that would stop them from being able to even have those relationships in the first place. And 
it's touched on for the trans character, but because Dorian isn't trans and it's from his POV, it's not quite delved into. But for characters like Laith and like Quinta and Yusuf, it just like like their existence itself would be criminalized. It's not like they can't date. It's just like them just being alive is the problem, basically. And the book doesn't like shy away from talking about that. The posters too, where it's like protect the children really like speaks to stuff that we just see every June, every pride parade in our real lives. So once that stuff started hitting, those last hundred pages were really intense because the book wasn't really escapism for me. I read it and I was like, oh, this is just life. Okay, cool. <laughs> I see where you're going with this. <laughs> but also I liked it because I picked up the book in the first place because I knew that it touched on these topics. I didn't even pick it up for the erotica. That was just kind of like a cherry on top. But yeah, that final thoughts on the book. I, I like what it's saying and what it's doing because a lot of uh, other books won't even like go there or at least not in a way where it feels, you know, like real. So I appreciated that. Okay, so... I um, I think we're about done because we we went over by about 15 minutes, I think. Um, but I am going to have all of you guys unmute because we're going to say goodbye to everybody. Um, and I thank you guys so much for taking time out of your Sunday afternoon to come and talk about the book. Um, I had an absolute blast. I hope you guys did too. Um, I hope we get um, a lot of people to uh, go buy it. Um, and this will this episode will publish um, next week. So um, I will have it scheduled. It'll be up uh, probably sometime next Saturday morning. So I hope you guys had a really good time. Again, thank you. Um, if Saul and John, if you guys want to unmute and say bye. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Showtime. Thanks, everyone. Cage. Yes, showtime. Showtime. Yes. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> yes, thanks for tuning in. Bye, guys. <laughs>